Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Dr. Nathan Jarftis, founder and chief scientist at Bolt Motorbikes. Nathan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I'm excited um, at what you guys are doing. It's it's very cool, and I love how I love the whole concept behind it, and and just kind of why you decided to go for it. But maybe before we kind of cover exactly what Bolt Motorbikes is. Let's get to know you a little bit better and kind of cover where you grew up. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, I was uh, I'm a East Coast transplant. I, I was uh, born in the in the Boston area, a little town called Lexington, Massachusetts. Okay. And uh, just like a lot of my my high school friends, shipped out of town at age 18 to go off to school, off okay. to college. So what did you I take spending, in college? Uh, oh, I studied mechanical and aerospace engineering for my undergraduate degree. And I had such a fun time doing it that I stayed at Cornell for another four years uh, to pick up a PhD in mechanical engineering. So, so what got you kind of passionate about engineering, and why did you decide to go into the field? It's it's a it's a kind of funny story. So I uh, I've always been really really active with my hands. I love building things and creating things, and and even before I I actually knew what gear ratios were. And, and torque curves and all this kind of stuff, I was designing gear reductions for my motorized skateboards and my motorized scooters that I was making as, as a 13-year-old. That's awesome. Um, yeah, but the, the thing that really and, – and I actually went off to college because I wanted to be a physics major. And what okay. Really, what, what really drew me to physics was mechanics, the F equals MA and the statics, like how to build a structure. Um, so, uh, I was, I was well along my way in physics and you probably know Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah, totally. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, he was a Cornell, he was a Cornell mechanical engineer, graduated in 1977. It was a great year. Huh. Um, and, and he comes back every year to, to, to speak to the, the engineers. Awesome. And a friend of mine said, Hey, Hey Nate, I've got an extra ticket to see Bill Nye, the science guy. Do you want to come? And I said, of course I do. And so I sat front row and center, and the things that he had to say about engineering and mechanical engineering in particular, like I knew at that moment that mechanical engineering is what I wanted to do. Oh, very cool. I, I think like a lot of kids that were kind of grew up in the 80s, early 90s, I'm sure he inspired tons of people, right? Absolutely. Totally. So, okay, so you, you graduate Cornell. What did you end up doing after you left university? Well, uh, after my grad studies, I sold my motorcycle for gas money so really? that I could drive across so I could drive across the country with my life's belongings uh, and my girlfriend's life's belongings in her station wagon. We ended up in Southern California. So, what and, made you go to Southern California? Well, I discovered Southern California, like the the Newport Beach, the Huntington Beach area, when I was in college um, out for track and field spring training. And I was like, wow, I want to go to this place. The weather was beautiful. The, <laughs> the people were fun and the waves and the beaches were awesome. Um, so, and, and I've always been sort of drawn to extreme and action sports like motorcycles, skateboards, windsurfing, BMX, all these kinds of fun things. Sure. Uh, well, fun things, fun things for me anyways. Sure. And, 
And what I discovered was that it's, it's a, to get into that industry, it's a lot more who you know than what you know. And I, I knew a lot, but I didn't know so many people. So I ended up with some silly aerospace engineering job and did that for a couple of years and realized that that wasn't quite for me. I, I, I loved the engineering, but the, the, to be in a company of 40,000 people in 44 countries around the world, uh, I, I found myself having to, to get five signatures and it might take a week just to drill a hole in a box that oh, would take me five that would take me five minutes, which included the cleanup. So, yeah. So it, I, I, I loved the engineering, but it was it was too much of a big shift for me to re, redirect. Um, so then I, that's when I, I sort of discovered startups. I'm like, wow, this stuff is awesome, where I can where I can work hard and I can I can make meaningful contributions and make changes and impact culture. And it was just it was really it was eye opening, and that was. That was up in San Francisco when I started about 10 years ago. Okay, so did you move to San Francisco and then find a job, or did you move to San Francisco already having a new job? Uh, fun, fun quick story there is that I, I said goodbye to, to North America, and I, 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 went for a, I went for a trip to South America to explore other cultures and, and see the world a little bit. Very cool. Um, and, and when I came back to North America... I had, at that point, then my life's belongings in my Volkswagen Beetle. And I have a friend named Doug who lived in San Francisco. So I said, hey, I'm going to go visit Doug. And I slept on his floor for a couple of, like, three weeks, found a house, found a job, found a surfboard, went on some dates. It was all with Craigslist. And then I found my first moped. And okay. it was awesome. And really? It really just sort of, it, yeah, it was, mopeds were so great for getting around the city where where a car is just a pain with parking and traffic. And, and I, I had my bicycle with me, but that was only good for a couple of blocks. And with the hilly city of San Francisco, sure. um, my moped was so great for getting around, but it was, it was really an environmental nightmare. You mix your gas and your oil and half of it goes out the tailpipe in a cloud of smoke. And as, as fun as they were to ride and fun to work on, um, it really wasn't a long-term solution. So sure. this sort of gets into the to the to the birth of Bolt motorbikes, and that's uh, a friend of mine knew that I was involved with electric uh, mobility, and knew that I was into mopeds and motorcycles. And he said, "Hey Nate, what do you think it would take to make an electric moped?" And that was six years and fifty-eight days ago. Wow! And and that started it all. So, okay, so. You, you you and a friend basically started the company, correct? Yep. And are you guys still partners now? Um, not with that guy. We're still good friends. Okay. But it, it wasn't the right business relationship. Sure. And and so it we we parted ways. I mean, on on great terms. Um, but we've we've since he's gone on to his ventures, and and I built up my team, and and we've we've built the company into what it is today. So, okay, so tell me, let's cover kind of more of the early stages of, the, of this thing. So how did you kind of, okay, you have this idea, where do you start? Because, like, I, I get you have a background in engineering and, and you understand this stuff, but, like, where do you even start when you're looking to, you know, build something from nothing, and especially something that's complicated like a like a motorbike or a moped? Well, uh, that's that's a great question. Um, 
really it's, it starts just out of out of passion. Okay. And and I, I had experience in in electrifying mobility. I built electric power wheelchairs, and then after that job, that was my first job in San Francisco. And I went to work with Zero Motorcycles. Okay. And these guys make electric motorcycles, and they're arguably the world leader in electric motorcycles these days. And when I was working there, uh, we were ramping up to our first 50 bikes. So um, kind of a similar stage of where Bolt actually is today. And, and so the things I learned along the way, um, I was able to apply to, to, to Bolt Motorbikes, which, which back then wasn't the name Bolt Motorbikes. We were just making a really cool motorbike. Um, and, and so I had this experience in, in electric vehicles, and it just sort of more, uh, I guess, uh, I guess it sort of just, um, it turned into, uh, or whatever, actually, let me step back. Okay, sure. Yeah. When I started making these bikes, it was, it was really a, a project of, of passion. It was nights and weekends because I had a day job. Sure. And, and someone once told me, you either, you either have a day job with all kind of money, but not enough time to work on your projects. Yep. Or you have no job, all kinds of time, but no money to work on your projects. <laughs> yep. So, so, so I started working on my nights and weekends so that I could build these prototypes and refine the design. Um, and then about three years ago, I quit my day job at the time and started going full time on Bolt. Okay. And, and, the, and their, their electric vehicles, at least at the time when I was starting these, were still pretty new. Sure. Um, but there were, there were forums out there. And if there were things that I didn't know how to do, there were other people who had some of these challenges that were hobbyists and they were, they were there to share their experience. And, and, and to that end, I also shared my experience and, and it was, it's this, this community of people really trying to make, make the urban transportation or electric mobility more available for, for the masses. Sure. No, I think that's, that's very cool. So it sounds like you were basically self-funded to start when you were kind of just working on the evenings and weekends, or did you raise some money at the very, very beginning? Oh, it was, it was entirely self-funded. Um, at, at the time it was, it was building a prototype and, 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 and even then the business model wasn't there. We wanted to make sure, first of all, that we could make a product that could actually be a viable solution right. to the problems that we were trying to solve. So did you basically manufacture and kind of fabricate kind of everything at the beginning, just in your garage, or did you order parts or kind of a combination of both? Uh, a little from column A, a little from column B. Okay. So I, I, I was actually, it's, it's funny that, that the, the bike that, it, that we are building today has so many of the, the characteristics of the bikes that we were originally from prototyping from. So we, we started off with, with old moped frames and we'd cut off the brackets that we didn't want and we'd weld and braze on new brackets that we wanted and we'd cut and machine new parts and weld new parts and for the things that were not off the shelf, we would make ourselves. Interesting. So, yeah, literally, there was no sense reinventing the wheel, and sure. so we would use off-the-shelf wheels, off-the-shelf forks. Okay. But the things that were were custom to our application, we would build ourselves. So things like the batteries, 
the bodywork, the seats, the plastics, the dash, the user interface, all the wiring, the electronics. Well, I, I'm a mechanical engineer, and as a mechanical engineer, we're, we have a little bit of experience in a lot of areas, including programming and electronics, but very much, but very much in the mechanics of, of how things go together and how to mechanically size components so that they can take the loading and, and the heat dissipation, all these kinds of things um, that are, are relevant in the vehicle. Sure. No, that that's really cool. So I, I'm curious, though, do you have – you must have like a, a crazy big garage with a bunch of like machines and kind of gear or do you, do you kind of just use some of the stuff you have at home or or do you go like rent yeah. a lab or, or kind of how do you fabricate all these these pieces because oh. there's so many things going on, right? Yeah, there there are a lot of tools required to to build the parts that go into our bikes. And over the years, I had developed my I guess my my quiver of tools. Okay. Um, and part of the idea is that when you're developing a, a prototype of anything, you can't do things like injection molded parts. Okay. Not if you're not if you're a small startup that that hasn't raised substantial outside capital. For instance, to make a single injection molded piece that can fit into your palm of your hand okay. might be a ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollar tool just oh, wow. to make one part. And so that's that wasn't it's certainly not um a a long term solution if you're if you're doing prototyping. Sure. Once you get into production and you raise money or you've refined the design well enough, then it maybe makes sense to 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 invest in this tooling. But we were in the early days just figuring out the proof of concept. How big does the battery need to be? How powerful does the motor need to be? What about the ride configuration, the user experience? These are all things that can be done that that can look rough around the edges, but still have the functionality. Totally. So, so we designed our bikes. We started as as a function driven product. Okay. And then we were once we got the 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 function right then we worked on refining the design for for aesthetics so first it was function driven then we followed up the form sure so how long did it take you to get that kind of first functional prototype it was it was just a few months okay from, from the day that i met dan for a cup of tea okay awesome to 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 when I was riding around on the first prototype, just so you, a couple of months. Sure. Yeah, so I'm, pr I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with my hands, and and the internet is a great source for knowledge and and prototyping parts. Sure. And and when you're prototyping, you don't have to be as as conscious of of shaving off the last penny, so you can pay a little bit more for an electric motor if you're just prototyping. Because also at the end of the day, if you find you don't want that, and you're just prototyping, you can put it back up on eBay, for instance. So, sure. so I know, of course, I, I had been working during the day, so saving up my money so that I could spend it on, on prototypes um, and, and maybe taking my girlfriend out for a nice dinner or something like that. Sure, that's awesome. So you were just like driving around the neighborhood in San Francisco? Absolutely. That's yeah, just awesome. Around and, and, and I would ride around. I would find out some, some areas where, hey, maybe if this were a little different or if this were more powerful or this could be lighter weight, um, I would make those modifications and then take it out for another test ride. And, and that, this, these, these iterations, these small changes 
um, went into a bike that ended up having that, that bike is still in our in our shop today. Um, it's a little bit of a museum piece, but that bike has two thousand miles of city riding on it. That's awesome. Yeah. So then, how long did it kind of take? You have this functional prototype. Then, then you have like when you spent some time on kind of aesthetic and making the bike look how you wanted it to look. How long did that take after that? Well, by by this time, um, I it had been about maybe three years of of prototyping and refining and oh, wow. and working my and working my day job and and I guess we can say tinkering. Uh, in in the nights and weekends, um, and then when I quit my day job to go full time, uh, it was probably another maybe three or four months till we had the next generation bike. And this was this went from basically a dumb bike that had the function that we were after, to then adding an embedded system okay. in our first pass at refining the aesthetic, and and again it, by this stage. We're, st- we're not so concerned about manufacturability. We just need to make something. And then we can, once that was made, then we can refine the manufacturing processes to make the parts scalable and scalable in production, scalable for cost, all these kinds of things. Okay, so you made a new bike then. This is like prototype version two? Yep, actually. So um, the first bike became generation one, two, and three. Okay. And at a certain point, at that sort of three-year time, we put a stake in the ground. We said, okay, this bike we've learned a lot from, but let's build a new bike from scratch. Okay. So again, we, we snatched up an old moped frame, cut off the brackets we didn't want, we welded and brazed on the ones we did want, and now we started making the parts that would, that would have the look and feel of what the production bike would, would look like. So right. you can think of that as our as our uh, Generation 4. Okay, interesting. And, and, and with Generation 4, the cool thing there is it looked like a production bike, but it was, it was a lot of filing and bending and pushing and, and, and grinding to get the look right. And then once we had that in place, this Generation 4 bike that we call Bluebird, we name all of our bikes. Okay. Uh, once we had Bluebird in place, What's the we story then, behind the name? Just out of curiosity. Just so that we can, so we don't have to say, "Oh, that bike." I got you. But why Bluebird? And, Was there a reason? Um, well, because our, our the the fourth generation Bluebird had had a blue accent to it. Yes, oh, okay. but there's some photos on our website and and in some of our media. Uh, it was it was the only bike that we that we made with this blue accent because we uh, when we had. Uh, Blackie, which was the first bike, which was basically all black. Okay. Um, we we wanted to we worked with a designer friend of ours, and that's where we went from function, function, function to function, function, form in in generation four. And to get to generation form, we worked with our designer friend, and he took our CAD model and extended this and extruded that and pulled this and added some color here, and we we found something that was basically what we wanted to work toward. We just had to figure out how to make it. And that's what led us to the generation four Bluebird. Interesting. So when you quit your full-time job, did you save a bunch of money or did you raise some money or a little bit of both? Yeah, I, I worked really hard for a number of years so that I could save money to build this business. Interesting. 
Okay. Yeah. And and even to date, we are self-funded entirely. Really? Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We had an Indiegogo campaign in the uh, this past October, which it was it was really more pre-sale. So we're we're selling bikes. It's not that we're raising money because that money went to building bikes. Um, but otherwise, we've been entirely self-funded. Okay. No, that's very cool. So this version four Bluebird is that basically the first production version that you basically went and said, okay, we're going to manufacture this exact bike? Before we went and manufactured that, that exact bike, we took Bluebird and we refined our CAD model to match Bluebird. Oh, okay. And, and so from Bluebird, which was generation four, we then built Raven and that's okay. the fifth generation bike. And we built Raven just by looking at the instructions. So, so it wasn't filing and grinding and pushing and bending and forming and pushing some more. It was, can we build a bike just by reading the instructions? And it worked. And that was Generation 5. And, and Generation 5 worked, looked so good that, for instance, GQ Magazine called it the best stuff of the year in 2015 which that's is the number awesome. one spot congrats man yeah, yeah thanks man it was it was really really it was it was a real pat on the back to to know that <clears throat> that something that we created out of nothing had this worldwide appeal and that people were really really kind of digging it and people started buying that bike uh or at least uh pre-ordering that bike sure and that was that was the bike that was in our indiegogo campaign and, and Generation 5 was awesome, but it wasn't good enough for us. So we refined the manufacturing processes okay. and adjusted some of the material selection that we used in the bike. And now, now we came up and now we're building Generation 6, okay. which is, is the bike that our, our customers are buying. That's the production bike. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious then, are, where are you guys doing the manufacturing and are you guys assembling yourself? Are you getting them built somewhere else or? We assemble our, <clears throat> we assemble our bikes entirely right here in Brisbane, California. Okay. Awesome. We make, and we make most of the parts really? right here in Brisbane, California. That's now, awesome. Of course we, yeah, it, it really is awesome. And, um, and part of, part of the, the motivation to build all this and assemble in house, we call it the fruit month, the fruit model. Okay. There's a fruit. There's a fruit company in Cupertino, California, that makes computers and MP3 players sure, sure. And, iP and, and iPads, <laughs> and um, and part of their their success is that they control production. Sure. They control yeah, yeah. the software and they control the hardware. Yeah. And and that was that was the motivation, the inspiration for what we're doing. And, and that because we can institutionalize this knowledge, we can build and we can grow and we can iterate faster than anybody out there. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting um, that you're basically applying a, a tech company model to, um, you know, building motorbikes. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what the product is, right? It's the whole, like, process and the belief and the... Basically, like you just mentioned, like the fact that you can control everything, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Absolutely. And so I'm curious then, how big is your team then? You must have quite a big facility and you must have a pretty decent sized team. 
we've got a we've got a really nice facility here in in Brisbane. It's it's got enough space for us to have a nice little showroom. It's got office space, of course, and and manufacturing and storage and warehouse sure. right all under one roof. So so we can and, and it's really cool when we have our potential customers come in and and potential investors come in. They can walk in. They can see really where the magic happens. They get we we can show them a nice experience. Take them out for a demo ride. They can meet our team and and really see where their bike is being built. That's awesome. And and, and that's that's really cool. And that's I think that's something that a, that a lot of companies don't have because their bikes are being built in China or in in Mexico or something like that. Maybe in India, um, but. But people get to see where their bike is being built. And we, we like to say that, that bikes are being hand-built by highly overqualified individuals. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and, and, and what I mean by highly overqualified individuals is, is that we have, we have top engineers building these bikes. And the reason we do this is part of this fruit model. Because if we can learn from each iteration, each bike build, we can learn and refine our process to make it better for manufacturing. Sure. So how long roughly does it take to go from basically like parts to a fully working bike? We can assemble a bike in an afternoon. Wow. Really? But, but we don't, we don't just make one bike at a time. We okay. build, we build, we're going to be building parts for a batch of bikes. Okay. And then we can just, then we can take those parts and make sub assemblies and we'll make a batch of sub assemblies. Okay. And then we just reach into our into our our, our supply cabinets, well, our, our stock shelves, and then just pull those parts and assemblies, and just put those onto a bike. And okay. so we can actually assemble a bike in an afternoon. The time-consuming part is making the parts and making the assemblies. And because we do that in-house, we can learn what are the parts that make sense for us to keep in-house, and what are the parts that make sense to to outsource. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So you yeah. say a batch, how many do you guys do in a batch? It, it, we're still in the early stages of production. So we're talking batches of 10 bikes. So we'll, okay. for instance, we have 10 bikes worth of parts okay. on our shelves and, and we're taking those 10 bikes worth of parts. And we're making the 10 sub assemblies and, and we've already have since we, some of the parts are, are, are pretty well set in stone. And so we have already a hundred sets okay, sitting on our shelves. And like, as I mentioned, we're, as we're building, we're refining the process to streamline manufacturing. So some things we're making modifications to in, in, in the assembly story, in the assembly process. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious then, how do people buy one? Currently, we're, we're offering, uh, offering our bike online. People can either just plain old order the bike online, or they can reserve the future by putting a, a deposit down on a bike so that the balance will be paid, say, a month before their bike is shipped. Um, so that's, that was, until recently, the only way for people to buy bikes. Uh, in January, we, we signed on a, the largest e-bike dealer on the West Coast. Okay, congrats. Called, yeah, thanks, man. They're, they're called Seattle e-bikes. Okay. And you can imagine maybe where they're located. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so Seattle e-bike is, is a great 
great group of people, very knowledgeable, and and what it allows us to do is is leverage the infrastructure that's already in place. They picked up a fleet of our bikes, okay, and so that they can now do demo rides and they can provide the service, and people can come to them to 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 ride and check out our bikes. So basically, it multiplies our 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 reach. Sure, that's awesome. And yeah. so if I or like I. How much does it cost, and then how long does it take for me to get one? So, five thousand four nine five. Okay. Gets you the the M one motorbike, so the bike that you see on our website. Okay. It comes with our five hour smart charger, which allows you to charge your batteries on the bike. Okay. And wait, what, what do you mean by it, but what do you mean by that? Like you plug it in, kind of thing, and you don't yeah, have to remove it. It's yeah, it's kind of like a, a laptop brick. Where okay. it's a little brick, one end you plug into the wall, the other end you plug into the bike, and you press go. And in five hours and about 21 cents worth of electricity, you've got a fully charged battery and you're ready to ride again. So basically, you ba- like it's a really good commuter bike. You basically just plug it in when you get to work. Exactly. And then you go... Then you go from work to go grab a burrito for lunch, and then you, after work, you go to the gym, and you go to your friend's house, and you go for a little joyride, and then you go home, and and then you charge it up at night, just like you do with your smartphone, and sure. then you're ready to go in the morning. I I love that. Like I that that is awesome to me, and I'm assuming I can buy a, a second battery if I need to go longer than five hours. Absolutely. So uh, we do offer uh, an an accessory line, including batteries, including foot pegs, including your your phone charge, including your off-bike charging accessories. So of course these batteries, the, the batteries on our bike are, are quick release because these bikes are designed for city living and not everybody in the city has a garage. Sure. So the idea is that you can lock your bike outside and take your batteries inside and charge them on our, on our off-bike charging accessories. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. No, that's mm-hmm. that's really cool. So, I'm I'm kind of curious. Are is there other models planned for the future? Are you going to just keep with this one, or or where do you see this kind of going? Well, the cool thing about what we're doing. Well, there are a lot of cool things, but sure. one cool thing is that the technology that we're developing allows us to go up market and down market. If we want to make a higher performance electric motorbike, we can use a lot of the same technology and make an even higher performance bike. We can also go down market and offer more like a classic electric bicycle using the technology that we have. So we definitely have some ideas for different models in the future. Um, and, and just to give a little glimpse, so right now we make the, the M1, which looks like a sort of cafe racer motorcycle. Yeah, it looks really um, good. I really love yeah, the thank design. You. Yeah, thanks. We people people really seem to like it, and that's that's a, again a really nice pat on the back because uh, it's it's a creation that I that I've been working on and putting a, a lot of my time and effort and resources in for a, for a pretty substantial portion of my life. Sure. And and it's nice to know that that people also like the stuff that I'm I'm doing. So I guess it taps my ego a little bit. Totally, and it should. Um, yeah, but we have, we've got some ideas for future models. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's we uh, another company that that has been a uh, sort of inspiration for us is is Tesla. 
Sure. And and what Tesla did in the early days is, do you remember their Roadster? Yep. They took their technology and they put it into an otherwise existing platform, the Lotus Elise. And yep. they made this really cool electric vehicle that that when they were out on the road, these 2,500 uh, Roadsters were establishing the Tesla brand. And they were validating their technology and giving Tesla great user feedback. And that's kind of like what we're doing with our, with our M1. We're using the Moped platform. We're putting our technology in there. And we're, we're establishing our brand. We're getting great user feedback. And, and we're able to, to really just to get our bikes out there. All the meanwhile, we're developing our next generation uh, for high volume production, kind of like Tesla's Model S. Sure. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So this might be like a, a weird question, but is there going to be like an M1 and then every year, like a new version kind of every year? Or, or how does that kind of work? Because like, is it kind of the same as just like being a big kind of car manufacturer where they, you know, they release a new year, right? Like I have a, this car, 2016. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I, I can see a a 2016 M1. I can see a 2017 M1. Okay. That that will look very similar, but it has upgrades in either performance sure. or the technology, something like that. But generally, would look the same. Um, I guess to to put that into uh, the the Tesla analogy, they had their Roadster, which sure. they were making for for several a few years, anyways. And then they made their Model S, and their Model S they've been now making for a few years. And, and then they introduced their Model X. So we can still be offering the same basic model, but just new years. And, and as the years go on, we can expand our product line. So maybe the MP model right, or the MC model, something like these, which are, are different, different, different beasts. If you know what I mean. No, totally. So I'm curious, what's the story behind the M? Uh, M is it's a motorbike. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's cool. Like it's just because I, I you had like kind of different names for your prototype, so I was just kind of curious to know about the M. But that makes sense. Yeah. So the, each bike we we give a name. So uh, Genesis was the first bike of the generation six. Okay. Um, there's Genesis, there's Gemini, there's Knick, and uh, we have we, we name all of our bikes, and, and for each of our customers that are getting a bike, we give them a, a custom plaque that okay. has the serial number of their bike, the name of their bike, and the birthday of the bike. That's awesome. That's very cool. Like, yeah. you personalize it to them. Yeah. That That's very cool. So, I'm kind of curious to know, um, like, obviously... Five thousand dollars for a, like a motorbike seems really, really cheap to me, and that's it's awesome that you guys are, are building something that affordable and that you know it could basically majority of cities you know in in North America you could at least ride them for many months of the year if not all year round. Um, I'm I'm curious to know. Will, will you just stay with kind of doing motorbikes or are you guys looking to kind of expand outside of that or, or it doesn't really make sense to kind of expand outside of that? We're a mobility company. Okay. 
and and whether it's whether it's two wheelers, three wheelers, four wheelers, or more, um, a lot of the same technology applies. Okay. We're 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 using renewable energy. We're using these batteries to power motors that propel vehicles. Interesting. Uh, we're we're motorcycle riders, so sure. naturally um, we we gravitated towards building motorbikes, but. But we we can do anything, but we just want to make sure that we're keeping laser focus on the task at hand. Sure. And in this case, it's building these motorbikes. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. The only reason I ask is just because I live in a in Canada, so um, we have snow for parts of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, that's that's awesome. the The other thing I'm kind of curious about um, is there different color variations? Are you going to offer that at some point? Right now, we're offering any color you want, as long as it's black. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it worked for Henry Ford. Sure. No, um, it makes sense. But, but uh, I... we, we, we've had a lot of people actually uh, ask, hey, what colors are going to be available? And, and we are working on offering co different color schemes. But right now, black kind of goes with everything. And sure. people seem to like it. Um, and just like, again, using Tesla as a model... You can't get a yellow Tesla Model S. They all they offer a few colors. Sure. But if you want to paint your car or wrap it in vinyl, you can do that. But that's on your own dime. Sure. No, I, I think that makes sense. And 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 kind of why I asked you those two questions is because it, it kind of circles back to what you mentioned earlier on about like basically building your model based off Apple, right? Mm -hmm. I I if I order a MacBook Pro, well, I get the silver version. Right, mm -hmm. and if I order the iPad, whatever, I get maybe a couple colors, and and again, mm -hmm. like you said, the Tesla model. So, I I love the fact that you basically are like, this is what we're doing right now. We might offer a couple other colors, but we're we're really focusing on we're building, you know, this one thing right now. We want to get it perfect, and then maybe in the future we'll consider adding other product lines. But right now we're just doing this thing, and I think that's super important to kind of just reiterate to people starting out because, you know, and that's kind of why I see the question if you're going to move to other kind of mediums or other vehicle types because, you know, so many people think that they need to get, you know, 10 different products, but it makes a lot of sense just to really focus on having one product be perfect exactly how you want it. And then maybe, and who knows, maybe you'll do it, maybe you won't do it. If it makes sense down the road, you'll you'll consider it. And I think I just wanted to kind of reiterate that again to the listener. Yeah, I think that's that's a big pitfall that a lot of young companies fall into, that they get too distracted from the task at hand. Sure. And and we can learn, we in any startup can learn so much by getting a product out to market. At a certain point, it's good enough. Now, granted, it may not be perfect, but it's good enough. And you can learn so much more by launching your product and then iterating on it sure. rather than polishing, 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 polishing. Um, and that's, that's one thing that I've learned along the way. And I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I want to see perfection. But, but at a certain point, it's good enough. And, and we can learn so much from our customer feedback that, that we, can, we can implement so much quicker than if we kept imagining and imagining and refining and refining. And, and we, can, we can do that. We could spend six more months making our product what we think is perfect. Sure. And then we get that into the hands and they say, oh, but if this were over here, then it would be easier to use. 
And we can learn that so much quicker by getting our product out in the market. And I think that applies to, to a lot of companies out there. Sure. I, I think that's really good advice. So I, I'm curious, just kind of along that line, is there anything that you you guys really learned um, once you released the product that you were like, oh, we probably should have done that? Or, oh, you know, I never thought that this would be or people would love this thing so much, like a certain thing about um, the bike. That's a great question. Um, the the bits of feedback that that is generally pretty consistent to us um, is, or sorry, the, the bits of feedback that we're getting is actually pretty consistent with the things that, that we thought were either lacking or really quite strong. Um, people really seem to resonate with the quick release batteries. Sure. And that was very, that was very important to us um, because we know that not everybody has a garage. Totally. And not everybody can just wheel their bike right in. Now, the reality is that you actually can wheel this into any apartment and into any elevator. Really? And you can wheel it into your office and park it next to the bicycles because there's no gas, there's no oil, there's no leaks, there's no smell. Right, right. And, and so you can get to places that you really just cannot get to with a gas scooter or a small motorcycle. So, um, so a, a lot of the feedback that we're getting is, is actually quite consistent with with our intention and 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 we're still even refining the experience whether it's a security feature to 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 deter thieves from taking your batteries um, all these things are, are pretty consistent with what we had in mind um, so the, the fact that we haven't had such such harsh criticism um, suggests that maybe maybe we could have launched quicker but even in the early days, we got a lot of criticism. Our batteries are too boxy from, from our demo riders and people that we would share our, share our product with. And, and to that end, we took that criticism and we refined the aesthetic and we smoothed off some edges. And, and that seemed to, to, to really go over well with our customers. Sure. I, I think that's, that's really cool. And I, it's almost like you're, you're basically almost talking about somebody that's doing like a software startup, right? Where you you just kind of keep refining things and you launch and and I, I love how you're 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 I love the whole process to this, right? It, it's the whole thing is it's like a new era of manufacturing, basically, is what you guys are doing. Do do you think that's a fair comment? I think that's totally appropriate as it applies to software as well. You're go in, in a software company. You're going to have bugs in your software. Sure. And and some of the best the best feedback you can get is from the customers. And and I think a lot of these customers, especially in our case, our early customers are people that that they understand that they're getting serial number zero zero one. Sure. Zero zero two. And 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 we're getting our bike store customers, and and they they know that they're. Their early adopters and and that they're going to get the the support that probably our hundredth customer might not quite get. Sure, that makes but, sense. You know, and, and so so they win because they get a great experience, and they also get to be the first person or the third person to have one of these cool bikes that really that we believe is really going to change urban transportation. Sure, that's awesome, but. Nathan, on, on that note, we're kind of running out of time. So maybe let's close the show again with where people can find you guys online, 
And any other social media links you want to promote? Absolutely. We're at boltmotorbikes.com, just like a lightning bolt. Um, and we're, on, we're very active on social. So our big outlets are Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And it's Bolt Motorbikes. Awesome, man. I, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to uh, be on the show. And I look forward to following your guys' progress throughout the rest of the year and beyond. And again, yeah, thanks I, a lot. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. I, um, and hopefully uh, next time I'm in San Francisco, I can uh, come down and we can meet up. It's a must. Yeah, I'm excited. Sounds good, Kevin. Well, it's an absolute pleasure talking with you, uh, and, and I look forward to keeping in touch, man. Sounds great, man. All right, we'll talk soon. Yep, bye okay. for now. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.